Heavenly Father, Lord, it's good to be with you this morning. We come, Lord, and we gather on this day uh, to hear from you, to experience you. This is the Lord's day, and Lord, we've come for you. So, Father, would you minister to us? Would you teach us this morning? And would we respond with the praise of our lips? And also, Lord, respond with our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet in following you and in following your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse 41 in a few moments. But as you're turning there, I I must confess, I'm normally very uh, self-controlled. I'm normally uh, very much uh, just composed. Very few things rattle me. Uh, Very few things surprise me or or get me out of whack or or, or out of sorts. But there's one thing that can take the the peaceable and self-controlled Neil out of his skin. And it is when you put me on the soccer field. That's right. When you put me on the soccer field, I lose all self-control. I lose all sense of being a man of peace and gentleness and kindness and, and a man of honor. And instead, I will do whatever it takes to win the soccer game. Amen? Some of you are with me, not all of you. Men, some of you guys, and maybe some of you ladies can relate maybe to your sport, but something about, you know, being put on the field or on the basketball court or on the baseball diamond, something about being there just kind of changes you a little bit. You kind of lose track of of who you are and you just want to compete and you just want to do your best and you want to, for me, yesterday, you just want to see that 16-year-old kid with a soccer ball, you don't want to see him go past you. And you don't want to see him score a goal. And so you will do whatever it takes as a 36-year-old man to stop him. Even if it takes throwing your body to the ground in front of him to prohibit that goal. And I have a nice big bloody knee this morning to account for what I did yesterday. I'm hobbling today with gauze. I hope that you don't see a big red dot right here. Because that would be that would mean the gauze isn't working well. I'm normally a man of peace and self-control, but put me on the soccer field and I lose all my whereabouts. I lose all my perspective. I take my eyes off of who I want to be. Today in the gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 41, Jesus is going to be talking about taking our eyes off of who we were meant to be. He's going to be talking specifically about a city, Jerusalem, a city that was meant to be the city of peace, and yet it had become a city that had taken their eyes off of what they were meant to be. They had lost all self-control. They had lost all their perspective, and they had become something that they were kind of now ashamed of, certainly something that our Lord was ashamed of. Jerusalem had lost its way. Jerusalem had lost its peace. The title of this message is The Things That Make for Our Peace. 
Stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41. A very small passage today, but we're going to be flipping through the scriptures quite a bit. So hang with me. I've included a lot of those scriptures on your handout today. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41, and only four verses today through 44. Luke narrates, and he writes this in verse 41. Now as he, Jesus, drew near, that is near to Jerusalem, he saw the city... And he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now, now those things are hidden from your eyes, for days will come, Jerusalem, days will come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You may be seated. Very short passage for us today as we continue our series in Luke It's a passage that occurs nowhere else in the Gospels. This is unique to the Gospel of Luke. The context is quite clear. Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the place where the Lord's temple is the focus. And there's Jesus who's on the scene. He's come from Jericho. He's entered on A donkey, a colt, to the waving of palm branches. Palm Sunday, we celebrated a couple weeks ago, the triumphal entry. He's nearing the city. He's coming up to the walls. But before he walks through, before he enters the city gates and walls, he pauses. There's something that's quite unique in this portion of Luke 19. It is that Jesus pauses and he weeps. He breaks down. He starts crying. And the word there for weeping or for crying is more like a wailing. There was deep and inconsolable wailing by our Lord Jesus Christ right here in this part of his life as recounted in Luke 19. And it's interesting that Luke mentions weeping because this is only the second time that the Bible mentions Jesus crying. The first, you may recall, in John 11:35, the longest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That was when, that was supposed to be funny, but nobody got that. If you guys want to learn a memory verse, I, I highly recommend John 11:35. You can start there. Jesus wept, and you'll be done. In John 11:35, Jesus was crying over his friend Lazarus, who had died. He was weeping. He was saddened by that, wailing, mourning. But Luke 19 is the second and final time that we find the Lord in tears in the Gospels. Nowhere else do we see that. Verse 41 again. Why is Jesus weeping? Take a look at verse 41. As Jesus drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, 
the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. He is inconsolable over the city that was made to be the center, central place of God's mission on earth. Jerusalem was intended to be the place where the people could meet God, could experience God, could worship God. They would come for the many feasts of, on the Jerusalem calendar. They would come to Jerusalem, always to Jerusalem, always to the temple. That was the place to be with God, to meet God, to serve God, to sacrifice to God, to encounter the Lord. The people would go to Jerusalem. They would go there to receive encouragement and ministry from one another as well, from the priests. Jerusalem, Jerusalem in Hebrew, literally the foundation of peace, from Yara, meaning to cast or to throw, and then Shalom, meaning peace. Jerusalem, the foundation of peace. Peace is to be thrown into that city. Peace is to be, is to be thrust into that city. It's to be the foundation of peace. Jerusalem was supposed to be home. Peace. A place of security, trust. A place of goodness and truth. But Jerusalem and its people had strayed strayed far from its original purpose. So Jesus teared up and he started to cry. He started to wail because the place that was supposed to be home, the place that was supposed to be heaven on earth was broken and twisted and sinful and corrupt. Have you ever lost a place of trust like that? You know, we, have, we have sacred places in our lives. We do. Uh, for some of us, it, it's our home. Our home, is a, it's a sacred place. It's a, it's a place where you, you come home and, oh, it just it feels good to be home. For some of us, it's, it's maybe even our parents' home. We, we, maybe we travel, maybe they don't live nearby or maybe they live far away and we travel there and when we get there, it's, oh, it's just, this is a good place to be. I love being home. Maybe you have other sacred spaces in your life, a place of trust for you. But have you ever experienced a place of trust that had then lost that trust? Have you ever been to a place or a home or a sacred space that was once sacred to your life and then something happened there that caused that place to fall apart? Not physically, mind you but spiritually fall apart. Maybe something was done there. Maybe something happened there that wiped away all your fond memories, just like that. Jesus had lost a place of trust, a sacred place. The Lord desired for Jerusalem to be like heaven on earth, to be the, the, the central locale of God's mission on earth, the temple. He wanted it to be the place where people would come and truly experience God, be ministered to by him. 
But when Jesus looked at that sacred place, and when he looked at the temple, and the merchants that were selling within the gates, all he could think of was that this sacred place had been completely broken. The loss was deep, and the tears flowed. And it was hard to imagine how it could be restored. Isaiah speaks of Jesus, of the Messiah. In the past, before Jesus came, Isaiah prophesied and said that that the Messiah, the Christ, would be despised and rejected by men. He would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. 41 and 42 again, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and wept, saying, if you had known, even you, Jerusalem, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now, now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus cried because not only had Jerusalem strayed far from what it should have been, but now, because of the sin of its people, particularly its leaders, it was about to reap what it had sown. It had sown the wind, it had cast seeds of the wind, and it was about to reap the whirlwind. Judgment was coming. And it didn't have to be that way. If you had known, Jesus said, if you had known in this your day, this is your moment, Jerusalem, if you had known Messiah is here, I am here, if you had known in this your day, the things that would make for your peace, then you would have had it. If you, would have, if you would have looked and seen the peace that was offered freely to you, you would, have ha- you would have it right now. Luke spoke of this peace earlier in the Gospels. He spoke of this peace all the way back in Luke chapter 1. At the birth of John the Baptist... When John's father was prophesying in verse 76, and this is what he said about, listen to the the, the words of hope and of peace that were to come. And he says, and you child, speaking of John the Baptist, you will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace, shalom, complete rest, trust that everything is well, that come what may, my heart, my mind, my body, my spirit will be at rest. How do we get this peace? The word makes plain from Luke 1 and all throughout scripture. We acquire such peace. That such peace comes. That it begins with the salvation offered through Jesus Christ. To sinful Mary Magdalene who believed on the Lord and was led to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. Luke 7.50 on your outline. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith leading to salvation, leading to peace. 
to the woman who struggled quietly for for over a decade with an awful condition that caused perpetual bleeding upon seeing the faith that she had to be healed. Luke 8.48 on your outline, Jesus said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Faith leading to healing and salvation leading to peace. In Acts 10, where Peter is speaking to Cornelius and testifying to him, the the first Gentile believer, testifying to him that he can have the peace of God. This is how Peter says to get it. He says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. To him, to Christ, all the prophets witness that through his name, this is how you get it, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. That's the gospel of peace. Believing in Christ, faith in him, leading to salvation, leading to peace. And Romans 5.1, therefore, Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, declared righteous on account of Jesus. That's when we can have peace with God. That's when it begins. Salvation is what begins the peace process in the heart of every man or woman. But the world, the world does not know peace. Fascinating how John recounted from John 14. I wasn't going to read this, but I'll reread it as John did, the Gideon testimony. It's always uh, providential how the Lord works. John read from John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The world doesn't know peace, friends. The world defines peace as the absence of conflict. That's how the world defines peace. Our nation Our nation speaks of peace in many different ways today. One of the ways we speak of peace is by negotiating with evil and and nefarious uh, foreign leaders, such as those in Iran, supposing that peace can somehow be forged with wicked men whose, whose religion teaches them to lie to gain the upper hand. That's our idea of peace. Such peace is not possible. Wickedness is what leads to chaos. Wicked behavior, malicious intentions, lying, be it a nation or be it a person, is precisely what prevents peace from taking hold. And so when, we t- when our nation talks about having peace with wicked and nefarious leaders of foreign nations who have malicious intent and who have lied over and over again, I don't know what our nation is talking about. There can't be peace. Such behavior is the antithesis of peace. Such behavior prevents peace. Chaos and sin, be it in a nation or in a person's heart, can only be remedied one way. And that's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is what begins the peace process. 
not contracts, not treaties, not declarations by a national or foreign leader. Salvation is what begins the peace process, without which there cannot be peace. Blind are those who think otherwise. If we suppose peace can be achieved with our own man-made might or power, then we're blind. And that's precisely what Jesus says in verse 42. Take a look at verse 42 at the end of it. He says, if you had known Jerusalem, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now, because you didn't see it, because you didn't know it, but now these things are hidden from your eyes. Now you're blinded. You supposed that you could make peace on your own terms, by your own might, by your own will, by your own declaration. And because you suppose that, in your pride and in your arrogance, because you went your own way, now that peace will be hidden from you. You'll be blinded to it. You'll seek it and never find it. Jerusalem, its leaders and representatives had rejected the peace of Christ. And now time was up. Peace would be hidden from their eyes. Jesus was crying because Jerusalem had forsaken its chance for peace. He was weeping because the city of peace had nothing of the sort. It's fascinating to me to uh, think of Jesus weeping um, as he approached the city here. Um, It makes me, uh, it causes me to carry that out a little bit further. As Jesus looks upon this city and he he cries and he laments and he mourns the fact that she's lost her way and, and has missed peace, has missed her chance at peace and rest. It, it causes my mind to, to take it further beyond the scope of Jesus looking at Jerusalem and, and to see it through how Jesus looks at, at all of us, how Jesus looks at the world, how Jesus looks at, at our community here at Coast, how Jesus looks at each and every individual, not just of, the, of this city in Luke 19. Jesus' heart breaks when people live without peace. Do you have peace? Do you have the shalom of God? Or are you unsettled in your spirit? Are you an anxious person? Are you restless today? Were there great moments of of agitation in this past week for you? Are you agitated right now? Are you stressed out? Are you dejected? Are you depressed? Why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose you feel that way? Are you critical? Are you mean? Are you edgy? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Why do you suppose that is? 
How have you tried to, to remedy your condition, that restlessness, that, that, not, that, that, that inner sense that things are not right with me right now? I am awry. I have angst. I'm not at peace. How do you try to remedy that when you experience that, that moment? When you experience that full day? When you experience that full week or, or month or year, or maybe it's been years that you can look back and say, I don't know if I've been at peace at all. How do you remedy it? Do you suppose a, a drink will fix it? Will the raising of your voice or the stonewalling or the backbiting resolve it? Will revenge solve your ills? Friends, we need peace. We need the shalom of God in our heart to be at rest in him so that whatever comes our way, whatever comes our way, we can have the full assurance that whatever this is that, that, that plagues me, that tries to unsettle me, that tries to bring me angst and anxiety and stress and, and a feeling of even anger, that whatever it is, do you have the shalom of God that says no matter what comes my way, I will rest as a son or daughter of the risen Jesus Christ. I will rest under the blood of Christ. The blood that covers this chaos. The blood that covers this heartache. The blood that covers this pain. The blood that covers this sin. Do you have peace? It begins with faith in Jesus. It is continually received by reflecting upon Jesus, by meditating upon his word, by talking in prayer to the Lord, and by sitting quietly in his presence in silence. That's how you can become a man or woman of peace. Do you have peace? Jesus weeps for you who do not. He, know, he knows what life is like without it. A peaceless life is awful. It is dreadful. It is something to be avoided at all costs. And the God who makes, the God who makes you weep at, our God weeps at the very thought of you living life without peace. It tears him up. It saddens him greatly. So let's find peace. Let's live peace. Let's enter God's rest and not suppose that we can find it some other way. In Psalm 95, it's listed on the backside of your outline. David, the psalmist, writes about the kind of peace that we can have or he writes about the other kind of life that we can have. Here's the life that we should have. Beginning in verse 6, come, let us worship, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, going back to Luke, today is the day of visitation. This is your day. 
here in Psalms. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, he's speaking of the exodus there. As in the day of trial in the wilderness when they wandered for 40 years. Verse 9, your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw what I did for them. They saw my works. For 40 years I was grieved with that exodus generation. And said, it is a people who goes astray in their hearts. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my peace. They shall not enter the shalom of God. Without peace in the human heart, chaos and perpetual unrest envelop us. Without peace, the peace of God upon a nation another kind of chaos will ensue. Jesus mentions it in Luke 19, 43 and 44. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, Jerusalem, Jerusalem rejected Jesus' offer of peace. And they would reap what they had sown. Jesus offered peace, peace in life. The people said, no thank you. So Jesus reluctantly, and with tears in his eyes, made them another promise. Instead of peace, they would have war. Days would soon come when the enemies of Israel, Rome, would set up barricades, embankments around the city. Those enemies would surround them. They would press in on every side of the city. And Jerusalem would be leveled. Literally in Greek, it would be raised. It would be burned. Torn down, stone by stone. The inhabitants of the city would be killed. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the city of peace, would be killed. And not just the men of war, but the women and the children. All of this would take place in less than four decades after Jesus spoke these words in Luke 19. Less than four decades. This exact prophecy that Jesus mentions here in Luke 19 would be fulfilled. His tearful, prophetic promise would become a reality when Titus of Rome took his armies and raised Jerusalem to the ground. Nations, nations that reject the peace of God will reap the whirlwind. It comes in many forms. It may come in the form of domestic moral deterioration. Good thing we don't have any of that here in America. It may come in the form of natural disasters, catastrophes, famines, hurricanes, earthquakes, drought. That would never come here. Or it may come in the form of an invading army, a foreign nation that comes and brings the whirlwind with them to the nation that rejects the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And just as it comes upon nations, so also men and women who reject the peace of God will experience ongoing personal destruction, chaos and war in their heart and in their mind. That feeling of unsettledness, that feeling of anxiety, that bitterness, that wrath within us, that's the ongoing chaos and war that comes from not seeking the peace of Christ. On account of such a chaotic environment, on account, of, on account of such a chaotic environment in the human heart and in the nation, Jesus weeps. He's desperate to give us peace. So desperate is Jesus to give you and I peace that he took upon himself the worst of the whirlwind. He put himself on the cross. The punishment that for, was for me and for you was put upon him. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace was put upon him. He reaped the whirlwind, the worst of it. He took on the war. He took on the chaos. He took on the unsettledness, the anxiety, the destruction, the sin, the violence, the anger, the rage, the wrath. He took it upon himself. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, endured the whirlwind so that you and I would not have to. That's how desperate he is to give you peace. So we need to receive this gift, friends. Oh, we need to receive it. We get so distracted in this world. We, we don't know what peace is anymore. Our lives, our lives are nothing but a full calendar Our day's agenda from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed is spent going, 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 doing, 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 running, running, running. We're on our phones. Golly, I read an article the other day that said the average American today is on their phone three hours a day. Three hours a day we are on our phones looking at a screen. We don't know what peace is. We are an unsettled people. Jesus was desperate, wept over those who had no peace. We must receive this gift. It is offered to us. We must give up the unsettledness of our heart. We must get up, give up the bitterness and the anger and the desire for, for vengeance. We must let go of all anxiety And give it to the Lord. Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace comes through prayer. Giving it all to the Lord. Every bit of it. Every minuscule element of our day say Lord would you take this would you go before me would you clear the path would you walk with me in this difficult time we don't have to be anxious for anything Paul says in Philippians we just need to give it to God and we'll get peace you want a life that is good and flourishing a life that feels right a life that's in harmony 
that feels harmonious at home and at work and with all those around you. Such things only come when a man or woman is intent on sowing the peace of Christ. James 3, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let peace reign. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule. Let it rule. What has dominion over you? What has dominion over you? Does sin have dominion over you? Are you stuck in a, a particular sin? I don't know what it might be. Lust? Are you stuck in lust? Are you stuck in the quest for power? Are you stuck in bitterness? And, and thinking of the past and of past hurts and of not letting go and wanting them to get what's coming to them? Are you stuck in sin? Are you being ruled and reigned by sin? Paul says in Colossians 3, let this rule. Let the peace of God reign, rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful you were called to this life. And may Paul's salutation, may what Paul, the parting words that Paul gave to the Christians at the church of Thessalonica in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, he gave parting words at the end of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. May these be the parting words for us, Coast Bible Church in 2015. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Peace. Shalom. Complete rest and complete trust that everything is well. That come what may, my heart, my mind, my body, my spirit. It'll be at rest. It'll be okay. Because Jesus has taken the whirlwind. He's taken the brunt of it. This is the life that Jesus wants for us. This is the life the Prince of Peace died to secure for us. Let's live it. Let's be men and women of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your Son is called the Prince of Peace. And we see why he wept today. Jesus did not weep often. As we read your word, Lord, he wept very rarely. But here today we see that he wept because of a lack of peace. Jerusalem and its people were broken, completely unsettled in heart and mind. They were ruled by sin and pride. They did not know the things that made for their peace. Yet, Lord, your son wept great tears because this city did not have peace. And he determined to go to the cross the Prince of Peace went and hung on a tree receiving the whirlwind of war and chaos and sin so that we 
might have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ and through a life that walks with him. God, if we are a people without peace today, we confess it to you. We want your peace. Please give it to us. Let us be men and women of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.